Today, we're going to talk with Amanda Hookham on organic food myths and how clever marketing has created massive misconceptions. Amanda is not only a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified personal trainer, but she's a food streamer on Twitch. You can find her handle and website in the episode description. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Just Nas Science Podcast. Each episode, we debunk ridiculous yet common science misconceptions we find online and get just a little salty about them. I'm your favorite science teacher, Lauren. And I don't like vegetables, Nick. Before we get started, uh, normally we do like a little call to action thing, but I do want to let you know that this was a Zoom interview, so please excuse the audio. It's this the best we can do. And uh, it's a great episode otherwise, so we really hope you enjoy it. So we are recording. Yeah, fun stuff. Uh, do you want to start off with the questions, Lauren? Sure. Um, okay. Question though. What? Do you in your last episode did you refer to as Hookem or Amanda? Because <laughs> in my head I keep saying Hookem. You're gonna say her name, okay. Amanda Hookem. <laughs> okay. Let's not make sure I'm keeping it consistent. Because <laughs> in our house you are Hookem, so just <laughs> Amanda, I've been dying to you, talk to you wait, you're not even gonna ask her how she's doing oh oh my god well, all right well geez maybe you should start this off then i mean i have been excited about this episode because <laughs> i have a couple jabs at nick in this one. Oh, good good that's what i was hoping for <laughs> amanda how are you doing today i'm doing quite well how are you oh uh apparently i'm about to be roasted so <laughs> well get ready then i guess <laughs> Yeah, I got a couple of things up my sleeve I'm ready to talk about. Okay, um, well, let's hear it. Well, let's just start off because I think a lot of this episode is going to focus around organic foods and what that really is. What does that mean? Because I think there's a little bit of confusion around what people expect out of organic foods. So can you just give us an overview of what is organic food? I guess when, if you look at like USDA definitions. I think the biggest thing for people to remember when it comes to the label organic is that that exclusively refers to the growing practices around that food. So it is an actual like regulation by the USDA. There are a lot of stringent requirements um, that a farm or a grower has to meet in order to be labeled as organic. Uh, and that requires additional follow-up, but it literally only refers to the processes uh, that can be used or not used when growing that food. So other than that, the food is the same as, as any other food. Yeah. When I was looking it up, I saw that they have to like record so much online yeah. about their practices or follow up and they get inspected once a year. And it just seems like a lot of work. I mean, I'm, I'm glad they do it. <laughs> you know, I'm all for that, but um, it's a lot of additional work. It seems like. Yeah. And that's actually an excellent point too, Lauren, because if we're thinking too, in like a broader sense of like, you know, equitable access for people and social justice and all of those great conversations that we've been having over like the last year or so. Um, a lot of farms are technically operating under organic policies, but because the, you know, grower might not be completely literate in um, all of these regulations and codes, a lot of times there is a barrier actually for farmers to be labeled as organic because you have to have a certain amount of means and money and time uh, in order to actually get that classification. So I think that that also adds a little confusion for consumers when they think of like, you have to buy, 
you know, something that's labeled as organic. There's other food out there that is grown organically. It just doesn't get the label because they don't, the farmer or the grower doesn't have the money or the time in order to obtain it. That's really interesting. And I didn't know that. And Mm -hmm. you may not know the answer to this, but how could someone who wants to eat organic, but maybe doesn't have the money because we know that organic foods do have a a higher price tag just because of all the extra work that goes into it. How could someone identify something that may be grown according to organic requirements, but without the organic label? I had that same question. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I actually didn't know about this either until last summer when my partner and I were looking into uh, joining a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, near us. So it's basically you pay money to a local farmer. They give you boxes of vegetables throughout the growing season that are grown locally. It's a really nice way to support local agriculture and small farmers. Uh, And when I was doing that, I looked into a couple of the farms near us and noticed that, you know, a lot of the practices that they say they follow with, you know, crop rotation and, um, you know, the, the pesticides that they use are organic pesticides and all of these things. I was like, you know, that sounds a lot like all of these regulations for organic, like things that are organically grown. But unfortunately, these smaller farmers just didn't have the resources or, you know, the money or, or, you know, maybe they have a personal reason why they don't want to be inspected every year. Maybe that's just not something that they're interested in. I don't know. I think that that's definitely like a few things to look for is, you know, the smaller farmers generally are the ones who might be growing organically, but they might not be able to afford the label or the inspections or those types of things. So your local farmer's market is a great place to find organically grown food that may or may not have that actual label. That's a good point. Nick and I recently discovered a CSI CSA bias that we didn't even know existed. And um, so we're going to definitely look into possibly joining them. I think this coming season. So yeah, we found out about it during when we were actually getting married. It was our wedding venue. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) this is so cool. But you mentioned it before, like organic pesticides. So can you just explain that a little bit more to me? Because you know, a lot of people think, oh, organic foods, they don't have pesticides in them. So what is actually allowed in the growing process for organic foods? Right. So the the differentiation point uh, when it comes to organic and conventionally grown produce, so conventionally grown just means not necessarily fitting that label of organic, uh, is the type of pesticides that are allowed to be used. There's also some stuff for GMOs and whatnot, but it seems like oftentimes people's concern is the pesticides. So organic produce can still utilize pesticides. It just has to be an organic pesticide. So it can't be something that's like synthetically made and utilized on that produce. So it's it still has pesticides. It's just, it has different pesticides. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Because I, when I was looking at the USDA website, they kept mentioning like man-made pesticides or things like that, or synthetic. So that makes sense. Yeah. We recently put up a video on our Instagram talking about chemicals because it's the new year roughly. And it seems to be that at the beginning of every year, or even just random points during the year, the people are always talking about chemicals and getting rid of toxins and detoxing and do this cleanse. And, and I personally, I find them mostly to be bullshit, but <laughs> you know, someone was talking about chemicals and I made a video kind of not at them. I didn't want to like explicitly say this person, but I made it in response to, but they don't know it. 
And I was just saying like, <laughs> hey, you know, the world is made up of chemicals. Everything is a chemical, even if it's natural or organic. Right. You know, strawberries have these crazy compounds and chemicals to give it their sweetness, to give it the the red color that you see on a strawberry. There are crazy complex molecules that are used as antioxidants in your own body that you want. So the idea that chemicals are bad and we must eliminate them from our lives is ridiculous and also impossible. Well, I mean, maybe they're just saying like, man-made chemical, you know, synthetic, but they're not specifying. And I think a lot of people probably don't think about differentiating. Well, that's part of the problem. Yeah. Cause they're not thinking about natural chemicals, but I, I don't know. And, and, but I, I do, I know, I think I know who you're talking about in the, the post you were kind of replying to and stuff, but yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I get it's, it. It's I not get often it. I, I do those kind of sub tweeting. I don't know what it's called on Instagram sub posting. <laughs> I'm not cool know. enough to know. <laughs> oh, you had a question. Yeah, I'm curious. So you, you briefly like mentioned GMOs before. How do you guys feel about GMOs, and which are genetically modified organisms, in case anyone out there doesn't know what GMO is? Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of fear that people have around GMOs in general. And I think a lot of that comes from a lack of understanding and also from the terrible job that Monsanto did with Roundup and uh, like promoting it and providing education on it. Um, So there's people have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to genetically modified foods. But, you know, if we look at them as a whole, like from a nutritional perspective, right? Because I'm a dietitian, so that's the thing that I most care about. There really is, there's nothing but benefit potentially to a genetically modified food from a nutritional perspective, because we're actually able to do things like, um, you know, in countries that are really lacking access to food, we have genetically modified rice to contain more vitamin A to prevent vitamin A deficiency in children, um, because they don't have access to a lot of the foods that naturally contain vitamin A. Or, you know, there's, there's all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, bananas would be inedible if they weren't genetically modified. Like we would not be able to eat them because they're just full of seeds. So. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Google like a wild banana. You will be shocked. There's like these gigantic black seeds in the banana and it's like no fruit. It's insane. Is this genetic modifying or is this selective breeding? Because those are different. Yeah. So that's the other thing too is with like the the rice that I talked about with the vitamin A, that's genetic modification because rice obviously does not have any, I mean, it has like minimal vitamin A to begin with. But when it comes to some other products, obviously, yes, there's certain like selective breeding involved. But I think the important thing too for people to think about is that genetic modification obviously, you know, can introduce something completely new, or it can also speed up the process of selective breeding. Um, because that's, that's something that occurs as well. Obviously, if we're, if we're inputting a vitamin into a food that's never there, that's like, you know, not something that would ever occur naturally, more than likely. But um, in a lot of instances too, genetic modification is just helping to speed up some of the processes that we've already been doing since agriculture originated, you know. Would you guys describe genetic uh, you know, GMOs as like kind of like recombination. Yeah, DNA recombination. I would. Yeah. Okay, that's that's how I kind of view it. And you're kind of cutting and copying, pasting. Like <laughs> that's how easiest way I feel like to specify this, a piece of DNA that you want, um, whether it produces something like um, silk or something. I always use uh, an example like that in science class. 
and I totally forget. So this is like a really bad example because <laughs> I haven't taught biology in a while. Just like you said, like there's no vitamin A. You can kind of like copy and paste that DNA for it or whatever and put it into the new DNA. And um, then you have rice that produces vitamin A. Interesting you mentioned silk because most of the time when people talk about GMO, they talk about foods and, and you see food labels that say like no GMO, like this big circle with a line through it like we hate gmos but gmos um if you're wearing anything with cotton right now 90 percent of cotton in the u.s is gmo is is genetically modified and aside from the nutritional aspect that amanda just spoke about gmos have a, a wide variety of other benefits it helps with crop yield they can be more resistant to pests and also temperature changes, which can vary wildly as we go through a time of uh, significant climate change. So we want to make sure that the crops that we're growing not only have enhanced or preserved nutritional value, but that we can actually get enough crop and enough yield to give to people. Yeah. And, and uh, that's a really important part. I actually had that in my notes. I wanted to mention, like, if we can create genetically modified crops that are resistant to pests, then we don't have to use pesticides. You know, so it kind of like there's a, a major benefit to it. If you're looking for food that's organic, that's not using a lot of pesticides, well, GMOs may be a great way to go. Just a little uh, tidbit there for people who are like so anti-GMO, really not that bad of a thing. Yeah. So, and they've been around long enough. I mean, I was learning about GMOs when I was in high school and that was what I graduated high school in 2008. So I got to bring wow, that up. So, so old. I know. <laughs> Just making me feel bad about Listen, myself. <laughs> if you want to make fun of me, old Lauren's older. So okay, by three days, literally. <sighs> let's let's kind of move on. We talked a little bit about organics. We talked a little bit about GMO, but somehow these categories, these terms, people are afraid of them. And I think a big reason for that is things like marketing and social influencers and all these other news outlets. And, and typically, I don't like to say anything bad about the media, but sometimes you do get overreactions about things like chemicals and GMOs and stuff. So how would you say that marketing has made us fear chemicals or GMOs and pesticides? I think a lot of it stems from people's you know, re I would say somewhat recent within the last decade or so, there's been a big push towards, uh, you know, things being more natural. People have seen, you know, some potential negatives to how industrialized everything is nowadays. And of course, the food industry um, and what people put in their bodies, people have been a lot more concerned about that. And in some ways, it's great. Obviously, as a dietitian, I love the fact that people care a little bit more about food. But at the same time, I think, you know, the education piece is not there. We've all seen what misinformation has done um, in pretty much every facet of, uh, of our lives recently. And coupled with a fear of things that are new or different and, and, and all those things, um, you know, there's some type of longing, I think, for, for how things used to be, right? People have this like romanticized aspect of like, we should just have that local farmer and they grow crops and, and they don't realize that like, you, you can't do that, right? There's too many of us and there's not enough like little mom and pop family run farms to feed all of us. Like that it would never work that way. I'm curious. And I think that's a, a valid point that people have this longing for nostalgia and you see that with different types of diets, like like keto or a caveman diet type thing. Like, like let's just, just 
if it didn't grow, if it, if cavemen didn't eat it, then I shouldn't be eating it. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You want to do had a life expectancy of like five. So like, let's not go that route. If you want to do that. But I'm curious, and I know you likely don't have the answer to this, but what time period do people want to transport back to? Because the idea of putting a lot of preservatives and uh, enriching foods didn't really start until like the 70s, where they really thought that preservatives were the way to go when it came to food. So where do these people want to go? Like how, how far back in time do they want processing and food growing to, to be? It just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, and I don't think that they know either. Because um, even if we look at like, the, <laughs> if, even if we look at like the paleo diet, like I have um, some good friends who work in archaeology, paleontology. Like they, I mean, they study things from way back when. I don't do that, so I'm not an expert in that area. But they'll even say like the paleo diet is not based off of like an actual paleolithic diet, like what people actually ate back then. And so it's it's interesting because I think just. I don't think anyone knows. I don't think they know like what they want to go back to. They just know that they don't like apparently what the offerings are now. But the paleo brownie mix though, that's definitely what the cavemen ate. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I think I think in general, not even just with food, I think people are always looking back on the good old days with, you know, rose-colored glasses and, and always longing for simpler times, but not even knowing what that means because you you tend to look back on things and nostalgia with this skewed lens even if it's your own life you for you tend to remember the good stuff and not the bad so you know it's like kind of cherry picking the past and it really just doesn't work and i i want to expound on this marketing really having a detriment to different food groups and i know you and i are friends amanda i I know for a fact that this you absolutely hate and it yeah. is the dirty dozen clean 13. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I'm going to like take over from there. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you'll have to stop me because I could go on and on forever. But basically, <laughs> basically um, just to get this out there so that everyone is aware, there are extremely stringent regulations and guidelines when it comes to pesticide use. So the Environmental Protection Agency in the United States or EPA they have set a bunch of very stringent guidelines for what amount of pesticide residue can be found on food products and which pesticides can be used with which foods because um, you know the absorbability of a pesticide depending on the food product is going to be a little different right if we think about like an orange or a banana those have more of kind of a a solid skin, I guess, than like a strawberry. So the pesticides that can be used on them is going to be different because it's going to be easier or harder to like clean off any residue. So they have a lot of very strict regulations. They test all of this stuff regularly. They use hundreds of scientific studies to make sure that, you know, everything is being safe for consumers with the amount of pesticide on conventionally grown foods that they may be exposed to. But there is a, a group that decided, the environmental working group, that decided to release these lists of the dirty dozen and the clean 15, I think, actually. Is it 13 or 15? I don't know. But decided to release these lists of the foods that have the highest pesticide residue and the lowest pesticide residue, but neglected to include the fact that all of the pesticide residues, whether it was high or low, were well below the threshold for what is considered safe 
uh, by the EPA. So we're just labeling food as dirty that is still perfectly safe to eat so that consumers feel bad and shell out more money for an organic food product. So then they eat less fruits and vegetables because they don't have as much expendable income anymore. And it just grinds my gears. Wow. I never really thought about it that way. Like I I never really thought about like, I don't want to say malicious intent behind it, but it definitely seems like there's an intent (laughs) behind putting this list out to push people more towards like maybe organic foods that they have investments or interests in. And, but then also people don't get to eat as much maybe because it's more expensive. So this almost like domino effect that comes right. with it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Right. And for, for me personally, you know, as a dietitian, if people want to eat organic food, I think that's perfectly fine, right? That's a decision that they are more than welcome to make. The part that makes me very upset is that the average person is not consuming enough fruits and vegetables to begin with. And so when we demonize conventionally grown food that is perfectly safe to eat, we have a lot of people who feel like they have to buy organic in order for it to be, you know, healthy for them or safe. And then a lot of people don't have the expendable income to buy the same amount of fruits and vegetables that are organically grown as they do conventional. If you look at the grocery store, I think we've all notice this, organic foods are very expensive in comparison to conventionally grown. So then people are consuming even less fruits and vegetables. So, you know, it, it makes me upset when, when groups do this because I just want people to be eating their fruits and veggies and like not be freaking out about the perfectly safe amount of pesticide residue that's on their conventionally grown produce. Well, Amanda, that was an amazing segue into what I would like to talk about next. God. <laughs> How much fruits and vegetables should someone be eating? Okay, so that seems really like a very obvious, silly question. So it, it does seem that way um, at first glance, but it's it's actually a lot more complicated of, of an answer that I have, unfortunately. So there's been a lot of different campaigns trying to encourage people to increase their fruit and vegetable consumption to like five servings a day. Five a day is a really popular public health campaign um, that's been in the U.S. for quite a while now. You know, based on the research that we have, we don't really have a definitive like this is exactly how many servings uh, people should be consuming. Um, And I think that oftentimes when we think about like a lot of people think about like five a day as being completely unreachable and unattainable based on where they're starting. So I always try to encourage people to think about like, you know, look at where you're at right now and try to just bump it up a little bit. You know, ideally people would be having a fruit and or a vegetable with like every meal of the day um, and just trying to increase it up a little bit. You know, I think I saw somewhere recently that, you know, some studies are suggesting like upwards of seven to nine servings is like ideal. And I think that like, if I think about what I eat in a day, I do not consume seven to nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Like that is, seems a lot to me, um, based on like my dietary pattern. So, you know, I, I think really the most important thing for people to think about is not necessarily reaching this set idealized number, but just being very mindful of trying to include more fruits and veggies in their diet, including a variety of different colors so that they're getting all of those different micronutrient profiles that all these different colored fruits and veggies have, and just trying to include, you know, one or two with every meal of the day, if possible. I think that's really the best thing, the most tangible thing um, for people to really focus on. <laughs> Sometimes I think we have a hard time looking past the, like the labels, you know, we just take it and run with it. I think that's because 
there's an inherent trust. Like I can't see what they're doing, but they're telling me that it's Wait. organic. I know. So I know we it. should. Yes. I yeah. Know. We should start calling vaccines like natural. <laughs> <laughs> natural immunity. Yeah. Natural now, immunity. Now, yeah, now like, oh, it's like naturally derived ingredients or, you know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. We've literally figured wow. it out. That's yeah, how to yeah, get. We've solved the, the anti-vaxxer crisis. Amazing. I, in all fairness, I think I solved it. <laughs> wow. You said it. Connected <laughs> uh, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I always love speaking with you and, and you and I are on the same page about a lot of things. So it, it is nice to hear that voice of reason because Lauren doesn't believe me when I tell her that there are nutritional values to cake. <laughs> so that's good. And also I absolutely love your live stream and we are going to have a link to your Twitch and your YouTube in the episode description. And if you, you know, if you're looking for crazy good recipes that are made by not only a registered dietitian, but also a certified personal trainer, well, then you should check out Amanda's YouTube channel and you can watch her make these recipes live on Twitch. And uh, she streams three times a week with Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We'll have the the schedule and, like I said, the the channel to, uh, link in the episode description. But if there's one reason aside from the recipes and and the and the, just the fun atmosphere, is to check out her amazing dog Maggie. Yeah, I was gonna say you better be talking about the dog. <laughs> She's the cutest thing, and if you watch her stream long enough, you accumulate points, and you can use those points to give Maggie treats, and it's so great. <laughs> I love it's it. the first thing I do every time I log into Hook'em Stream. I I give Maggie a treat and it makes me very happy. Yeah. Well, she hangs out in the kitchen specifically for the treats during live streams. She's no dummy. She knows. (laughs) She's learned. She has learned. Uh, Who says you can't teach an old dog new tricks? (laughs) (laughs) Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I truly appreciate it. And uh, I will see you on the next live stream. Thank you, Amanda. It was a pleasure. That's going to do it for us today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and especially share it. It takes literal seconds to hit subscribe and click the five-star review button and would mean a whole lot to us. Positive ratings and shares on social media are the biggest ways you can help us spread this good, good science to even more people. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at JustNatScience. You can also visit our website, JustNatScience.com, where you can watch YouTube videos, read blog posts, or submit questions and suggest topics for future episodes. Don't forget we put out new episodes every Tuesday. As always, thanks for listening, guys. Later, you nerd. Later, Gator.